Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I had to go about it, write it out, and find it myself. And there's some stories I can tell you. This is The Final Word, the uh, leisurely weekly edition. Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins, and a special guest on the show today is Patrick Cummins, Australian fast bowler, number one ranked test bowler in the world, and he'll be on the show a little later on to have a proper Final Word style chat. In the meantime, it's the middle of the tour match in Derbyshire, and that's where I am, and Adam, that's where you were yesterday as well. Yeah, I kind of regret, g'day Jeff, that... I've come back in a while. I've got a fair bit on in London over the weekend, to be honest with you. That's why I've returned home before the Old Trafford test. But there's something about these tour games which hit me on the right places. I, I loved Worcester a few weeks ago. Had a great time yesterday in Derby. And, yeah, you know, I, I regretted having to jump on the train and come back today. I wish I was sitting next to you doing the podcast right now and watching the, the debutante yesterday. I forget, forget his name now. The bloke running in without a without a number on his shirt. and um, Melton. Tony Dustin Paladino, Melton. Dustin Melton, Tony Sylvie Palladino running in from the other end, um, who of course uh, he made a hundred against Australia in a tour game about a million years ago. So yeah, there, there's there's something uh, oldie worldy about going out to the Shires, <laughs> especially the sort of the Division Two Shires. You don't get a lot of attention. They're well off Broadway um, in terms of the, I guess the coverage and and so forth. But it is a nice quaint part of Australia touring England, albeit. A scale down one compared to yesteryear. Talking to Greg Greg Borm about this, who's on the tour with us at the moment. When Bormy did ninety three and ninety seven, but especially ninety three, Australia played every county plus the minor counties plus the universities. Um, you know, uh, it, it was a proper full on tour in the old fashioned sense of the word. Now these are kind of warm up fixtures and they're treated accordingly. But it's a nice throwback all the same. <laughs> well, throwbacks. We, we went to a pub called Ye Old Dolphin uh, last night, which was allegedly haunted. <laughs> there are apparently five different ghosts who wander around Ye Old, Ye Oldie, if, if you will, um, Dolphin, but they were just blasting really loud R&B music, so I'm not sure if any ghosts were you know, willing to come out and party in, in a 21st century style. <laughs> That's where we're at. Yeah, I, I like the fact that it is Derby too, by the way. I mean, there, there is a good history, and Brat Sanderason wrote brilliantly about this a couple of days ago for Crick Buzz. I, I remember really well the Derbyshire Tour game in 97 because it ran on Australian television. It was the warm-up game directly before the Edgebaston Test match. Mark Taylor under enormous amounts of pressure. Dean Jones captaining Derbyshire. And I still at that time was felt deeply aggrieved that Jones wasn't playing in both Australian sides, even though it had been five years since his most recent test match by that stage. But um, Jones captaining, making runs. Uh, Chris Adams, who has been a talking point this week, coincidentally, uh, making runs in the fourth inning. Shane Warne um, getting belted all over the place. And, and Taylor being dropped by Jones and going on to make a half century, which was, I guess, the, the precursor to the ton he made at the mm. second innings at, at Edgebaston. But he wasn't far away from losing his spot in the side at the time. And there was so much focus on it. Hard to believe that's 22 years ago. But yeah, a very famous day for the club because they, they did beat Australia in that fixture and yeah. you very rarely see that in, in the county games. It might be the last time a county actually beat Australia, come to think of it. <laughs> um, but the really funny thing about this this last week was 
Australia's coming to play Derby. Of course that game, Derbyshire rather, of course that game is going to come up. Um, there's footage of it. You know, the great Rob Belinda has, has, Rob Moody has popped that up online of Warren Bowling in the cap and sunglasses and getting absolutely flogged by Chris Adams, you know, big sixes, all the rest. Made 91. They chased 371 to win. Um, Warren took seven for it. <coughs> Not like he bowled badly, but he still got carded enough that they actually lost that massive run chase. Um, and so, of course... Shane Warne being Shane Warne, he picks that week, that very week, to decide to line up Chris Adams on Twitter and bag him as being, quote, a club cricketer. And you're like, so he's the club cricketer who smashed the shit out of your bowling all over the park to win a massive run chase. Is that right? That yeah. club cricketer? Well, 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 well yeah, and, and the way that sequence, I mean, it kind of neatly ties into what we're principally going to talk about before catching up with Pat, which is the, the fallout from the Headingley Test match. But it was Matt Pryor who hopped on Twitter and discussed mother cricket and her influence perhaps on Nathan Lyons uh, you know what happened at the end of the Leeds test with Nathan Lyon which is well documented but um, you know that, that's I don't think it's an unreasonable pop for, for prior to take given the, the, what Lyon had to say a couple of years ago I don't think it's too crude I mean yes it's a sledge but does it matter an awful lot probably not but Warren took umbrage to it on the basis that Adams had piled in as well and and we're off to the races it was a good couple of days of um, grab the popcorn on Twitter wasn't it? Mm, yeah there was a lot of um, a lot of back and forths that maybe didn't need to happen and uh, everybody would have been better off without but there we are that's the that's the modern world that we live in but you know no one no one quite has the ability to set themselves up to look a bit silly um, quite like SK, um, who, whose, whose areas were spot on in that department as usual. So anyway, that's that's where we are. What, what, what did you make of what did you make of the fact that he this kind of taps into grade cricketer areas? The um, the are oh, you just a club cricketer? Yeah, um, sledge. I mean, yeah, he did he did play Test cricket, Adams, yep. and obviously he played quite a lot of county cricket against Warren. And you know that the fact that that's even a even something he would draw on that's sort of that you know well I was yeah. better at cricket than you therefore your opinion doesn't mean anything yeah it's bizarre isn't it it's bizarre it's it's just I don't know you, you hear it sometimes but you, you only ever hear it from people who are maybe <laughs> a bit deficient in their thinking it's it's just a weird one I, I seem to remember Darren Lehman having a few goes along that line as well it was sort of you know what would you know because you didn't play cricket at the same level well, so what yeah, it, it mm. doesn't it, it doesn't suddenly open up a, a whole new world of knowledge and understanding to you. So it always seems like about the most pathetic sledge that anyone can muster, but there you are. Yeah, yeah. There's um, Before we kick on to having that discussion in greater depth, uh, just we should note we have our second English live show on Monday night at the Woodhouses Cricket Club in Manchester. We mentioned it on the pod last week, but we've been steadily ticking over, organising that. Uh, that's Mike Atherton's former club. He was telling me on the email the other day that it's his first memory of watching cricket as a four-year-old watching mm. his dad play there. Uh, it's the club where Michael Holding played Atherton himself until he was capped by Lancashire. But Michael Holding was a, the pro there for a season many years ago uh, and they've been very kind to, to put us up for the night. So we can't wait to um, go through our paces with Jim Maxwell again, which means it'll be eventful <laughs> given that Jim's involved <laughs> based on his form from Hampstead the other week. So if you, if you are listening and you are from the north of England or you're on a tour group or you're going up for the test match and you are going to be in Manchester on Monday night hop on finalwordcricket.com grab yourself a ticket because it's going to be a lot of fun I can't wait Jeff these live shows we've done a couple already this year they've been a great way to sort of bring a lot of people together who might listen to the show but that's their only involvement with us where they decide to come along have a beer talk some nonsense and yeah I think we all get a lot out of it yeah I, I think it's the the intimacy of it of getting to chat with everybody in, in person and and have a have a small crowd in a room where you can you know, chat to Jim and, and hear the stories and you know be involved in that way. It's, it's just it makes the internet tangible. You know we're actually all real people at at the end of our various connections. So um, it's nice to be reminded of that once in a while. So yeah, jump on the website, have a have a look, book a seat. Come along, um, it should be good fun. And just adding that we, we won't be putting these on the podcast, so we had a lot of notes after the fact in London as to 
whether we would post them. We, we made a decision that we won't post these for, for a host of reasons that I won't go into. But, um, but yeah, if, if, uh, if, if you want to come along, that'd be great. But there will be versions of this live show, which we will do in Australia in November. When I'm back in the country, we'll mm. do probably two, probably looking at this stage, one in Melbourne and one in Adelaide. So, yeah, keep an eye out. And uh, this will be increasingly part of the, the final word offering, not just for our podcast subscribers, but anyone that likes us to have a... Uh, you know, a, a good night talking crap, talking, well, I was going to say talking smack, talking crap, talking rubbish uh, <laughs> about our great game. <laughs> talking talking, crack, talking both smack and crack. <laughs> oh, we can't rule out that either of those might come up with it. Uh, look, um, so we've got, we, we talk about the test match obviously on the Ashes daily, but we, you know, that doesn't give us the opportunity to look at the fallout from one of the more extraordinary test matches that's ever been played. I, I think if you line up everything back to back, and, and obviously all the focus was on that last day, on that Stokes innings, where the whole game shifts in the space of seven overs. You know, it's such a, it's a mugging basically. Australia are, are so shocked by the fact that this has started to happen that they don't actually find a way to stop it happening. And so, but that 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 kind of wipes out the memory of the first day of some incredible swing and seam bowling and then some, you know, amazingly resilient batting from from Warner and from Manus to get to some sort of total. Then Australia bowling out England for 67. Like, you almost lose sight of the <laughs> fact that even happened on the second day with another brilliant fast bowling display. Uh, the uh, that, that show of England sort of fighting back with the balls, Stokes bowling all those overs and just doing enough to keep Australia to something that was even slightly possibly chaseable. And, and then, of course, the miracle of the last day. So without even a fifth day across four days, we had such an, an extraordinary match in every possible sense that it'll take a, a huge amount of, of unpicking probably over the years ahead to, to actually get every detail of it down. But mm. the, the fallout, obviously, the, the you know, what's happening next, suddenly everybody in, this, in, in the UK is... Um, well, the the interest in the Ashes is vastly, vastly greater than it was before, and and you've got a series at one all heading into the fourth, and it's it's all on. Yeah, regrettably, in that fourth Test match, I can break some news. I'm going to break an embargo in the sense that I've got some news that I can't report on Twitter for 20 minutes. But this podcast will not go up in the next 20 minutes, so it doesn't matter an awful lot. James Anderson's been ruled out of the rest of the series. Ouch. I'm afraid to report. Oh no. Yeah, he's. I'll read. I'll read from the release, which will be going out shortly. England and Lancashire seamer James Anderson has been ruled out for the rest of the series while bowling in the ni- in the ninth over on Thursday in Lancashire second 11 four day friendly against Durham at Chester Br- Chester doesn't matter where the club is Anderson became aware of right calf pain following on from 20 overs he'd bowled on Tuesday he immediately sought medical assessment from Lancashire and was withdrawn from the remainder of the game further review with the ECB medical team is confirmed he'll be unavailable for the two remaining Ashes tests Mm. that is absolutely galling I mean great news for Australia from a purely partisan perspective but as far as Anderson potentially playing in his final Ashes series and the way that he came into this having had two fantastic summers at home and the opportunity he had to take advantage of uh, Australia's main weakness, which has been the moving ball. Uh, it's sad that they that we won't get to see Anderson against Australia in these last couple of tests, especially at Manchester where he would have got to have bowled from the James Anderson end and all the colour and movement around that. Well, it won't be, Jeff, I'm afraid. Yeah, that's, I mean, from a cricket perspective, that's disappointing. His, his involvement in the 2019 Ashes will be restricted to four overs on the first morning um, and, you know, potentially being one of the key things in losing England that test match because they were a bowler down right from the start. So that's a real a real sort of fizzling way to, to go out. And uh, you think, you sort of speculate from, you know, some players you might think they'd pull the pin at this. I, I reckon that Anderson would be more likely to be the stubborn sort of type who'll go the other way and say, well, no, I'm not, you know, I need to play more test matches now. I need to... I need to push on and make sure I can get back. But, yeah, it's, it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because Chris Wokes is, looks just about cooked, um, or certainly did in the last test. He's, he's been bowling a short number of overs, basically, and so you'd think they'll probably give him a, at least give him a match off um, yeah. and bring Curran in. Oh, I, 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 yeah, I was going to say, I don't, think that's a bad, I don't think that's a bad result for England. I mean, let's remember, Wokes has bowled an inordinate amount of overs this summer uh, and, you know, for reasons that aren't entirely clear, he played that test match against Ireland when he 
should have been on a beach somewhere um, rather than thinking about cricket. But yeah, I, I don't think Curran in is a bad out for England. I think the, you know, the, 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 the composition of the attack would have been such that Anderson would have came in for Wokes anyway. It just means that Curran will. So yeah, yeah I mean, uh, Archer remains the leader of the attack and Broad's bowling magnificently. But had they added, added Anderson to the 11 with all his experience, it would have been a whole other dimension. But not to be. So just going back to where you started, Jeff, and pick up from your initial thread about the fallout from the test. I did something the other night, which uh, I don't usually do with a test match. I went back and watched the entirety of the final hour and a half. I just thought it was worth seeing it all again because, uh, you know, as people have discussed in, in the uh, in the wash-up, there's a bit of recency bias when you talk about mm. greatest finish ever and greatest innings ever. And I'm, I can't remember what we said on the daily show uh, in the grandstand at Headingley on the final day, but I'm sure we would have said something like that. And we wouldn't have been wrong in saying it, but it was good to watch it back again. And a few things stood out to me. One is that it, it didn't take long to feel like it was on. Really, you look at the amount of runs that England needed to win, 74. By the time they got it back to about 55 or 50, that's roughly when Stokes plays that audacious uh, reverse switch hit jobby offline into the Western yeah. Terrace. And even from there, even from there, the, the sort of the, fl- the feeling of the game had shifted into, well, he's a dead set chance of doing this. So it wasn't like he, he crept up on us and had that really big over against Josh Hazelwood and broke the back of it. It, it. it was a bit different to how I remembered it. And the other thing, watching back the television coverage, because my vantage point uh, for the final uh, the final run home was I was standing up on the balcony yeah. listening to the radio with my camera I wasn't watching the television but wow Ricky Ponting what a Ricky Ponting and Nasser Hussain after Atherton finished calling so it went from Atherton to Hussain as the caller and, and Ricky Ponting took over as the colour commentator what a star like you know I know that's a bit Beltway used to talk about the commentary on when it's such a great event on the field, but it really stood out to me that not for one moment would have you known that Ricky Ponting was the former captain mm. of Australia, one of Justin Langer's closest friends and kind of a, a still a close consultant to this side. The way he conducted himself and took great joy in the moment. I remember we talked to Jared Waitley about this, Jeff, when we interviewed him for the final word in South Africa, what, nearly two years ago, 18 months ago now, and I asked him about the 2008 AFL Grand Final when Geelong lost to Hawthorne and I, I have this great sort of uh, respect for the way that Jared called that game as a Hawthorne supporter because listening to the radio call that day despite the fact that Geelong were going down he couldn't have been any more enthused about Hawthorne's victory and he said that as a commentator it's your job to make sure that the people listening to the broadcast get their special moment too and Ponting made sure that every England fan got their moment it mm. wasn't diminished by sooking uh, and, and you know there were, there were other bits of punditry uh, on the final home stretch of, of that test match and the contrast was evident in the way that yeah. Ricky Ponting conducted himself so, so well played to him and it just goes to show again what a huge cricket brain he's got that he can process so much information and give such great insight when events were unfolding so quickly yeah it's, it's interesting how um, it, that that final sort of passage of play felt, you know, because that was... Uh, I, I went down into the grandstand um, just... I got down there just as Broad got out. And, the, the yeah, the sort of um, attitude from the from the local supporters was, we're still in it, we're still in it. They was, as I, I think I said on The Daily Show, they were still all going down to the mm. bar and getting fresh rounds in. You know, it wasn't like we're <laughs> nine down, we're gone here because Stokes was still there. And, and as you say, at, at, at 70, you're thinking, well, this is hard, but... In in a run chase, in a sort of normal run chase with any other batsman, like it, like a even a, a Lara ninety nine kind of run chase or something, that seventy runs that that those last runs have to be got in bits and pieces. You know, they have to be got. Mm. Um, it, there's a one here and a two there, and maybe the occasional boundary, but you can't take the required runs down by ten or twelve and over because you know players just didn't have that sort of mindset i guess to to be able to hit in such a sustained way whereas a t20 generation like of course there have been lots of attacking players and batsmen and so on in the past but to sort of to have that mentality that i can hit a couple of sixes every over and that is a thing that's both possible and reasonable and therefore i 70 Mm. to win but i can knock these off within 10 overs rather than needing to bat for 30 overs and hope that the number 11 doesn't get out in in that 30 overs you know that's that's the difference um, that it 
it became possible because it could be broken down into and digested in much bigger chunks at a time. Yeah, yeah, it did, didn't it? And I think that watching it back the second time as well, it, I mean, Tim Payne was fairly critical of his captaincy when he spoke to uh, the media in the immediate aftermath. Yeah. And then he kind of expanded on that a bit yesterday as well. And this isn't like... I'm not going to get the machine gun out and, and turn it onto pain here, but I think that had he his time again, he wouldn't have given those singles to Stokes on the fifth ball of every over because it did give him the chance to just let Leach face one ball per over and that heaps the pressure onto your bowlers and yeah. irrespective of how well they're going at the time, if you're giving them one opportunity out of every six with Stokes going the way that he was, it, it just, yeah, I, I, again, I think that had he had his time again, he wouldn't have left it to one ball per over. He would have found a different way through that and risked giving away boundaries in order to have got more opportunities at Jack Leach. So there has been, yeah, fairly fierce criticism of Payne tactically. I think the, the leg before decision that wasn't, that was, that wasn't, that was, that wasn't with Nathan Lyon bowling to Stokes after the missed run out opportunity. I mean, that that's that's one where, uh, you know, cause obviously Cummins and, and, and Payne had come together in the previous over and reviewed yep. something on spec. That, that, that deserves scrutiny as well. Uh, you know what? This is, I'm probably going to get called out Australian and, you know, that I'm Germaine Greer or something for saying this, but... Geez, I've watched the line leg before to lead to Stokes a, a gazillion times this week. Uh, oh, it, it's not conclusive. I, I don't know. Something about that projection still feels a bit bung to me. I, I don't. I don't know. It, it, is it? Have you watched it back? And yeah. I mean, I've, I've, I've read several. It, it, it feels as though what, seeing two and a half stumps mm. from around the wicket. I, I struggle to see how it's hitting middle, and I guess that's just a quirk of Hawkeye, isn't it? That we see things and we and we sometimes struggle to believe that. The projection, and I, I'm not well enough. I'm not an authority on how Hawkeye do their work, but my cricket brain says that was sliding down leg. Well, the, I think if you look at Hawkeye, you can see that it the projected line of the ball doesn't it doesn't straighten. The off break doesn't straighten onto the stumps as an off break should. It bends back onto the stumps, not massively, but just enough. And so yeah. it's maybe hitting leg stump. I reckon if it if it straightens the way that it looks like it should, but it's not hitting middle. The, the, there's an off-break delivered from that wide around the crease on a pitch that wasn't turning that much. It turned a bit, but it wasn't it wasn't going to straighten enough to smash middle stump. And so I, I think it's wrong as well. Um, it just looks wrong. And I reckon when you watch it live and you've got a batsman moving across for a sweep shot, you can see most of the stumps. He's outside the line of leg stump. He's falling over to the leg side and a ball hits him from around the wicket coming across him that much. I think it probably is hitting leg stump, but I think if I was umpiring that live, I would say there's a decent chance that's going down and I'm not prepared to give it. And then you've got people saying, well, oh, the umpire should have known that England had a review left and Australia didn't. But that's bullshit because you cannot make an umpiring decision based on who is able to review it and who's not. Like That, shouldn't, that should never enter into your thought process because that's the province of the teams. Helpfully, Langer shut down that debate as well. Like Langer spoke really well on that. He's like that absolutely shouldn't have been a factor. If he thought it was not out, he should give it not out. And yeah, Wilson cops the the usual abuse. There was some nonsense on social media suggesting that he'd been dropped for the fourth test match when of course that's not how it works oh, at all. I mean, he how, was always how cooked is that reporting? Like that's from you know, on, on the, the whatever it is, the Fox Sports well, the, website or something, they've had a, a nightmare yeah. across this summer. They've put some absolute dross out, but that is that is absolute bullshit. That's just blatantly not true. There was, a, there was a set rotation of umpires who do certain test matches and they do a couple and then others replace them. And that's just, I mean, that's dishonest. That's putting something up that is fundamentally not true in order to try to mm. present it a certain way. And, and I'm, I think that's incredibly poor. Yeah, yeah. And look, I, you know, these things, when there's an umpiring decision involved, remember Billy Bowden in 2005 at Edgebaston, and it tends to follow these umpires around. And in a way, I'm glad that Wilson isn't umpiring at Old Trafford given... He didn't have a good test match, to say the least, at Edgebaston. Had a much better game at Headingley, but won't be remembered for the better game. He'll, it'll always be remembered for the projection and the debate that ensued afterwards. Mm. But yes, it's probably good that we're getting three fresh umpires uh, to adjudicate the final couple of test matches. Uh, so, look, I, I, in terms of the, the response... Well, one, one other thing on that before we, before we move on that has been bugging me over this uh, whole affair is people saying, oh... Cummins and Payne used the review in the over before and, and they wasted the review, which meant that when Lyon got Stokes out, Australia didn't have any reviews left. That is not how time works. Time, we're on a linear timeline, right? So the timeline in which 
Nathan Lyon hits Ben Stokes on the pad. That delivery only happens after Payne has already used the review the previous over, right? It, it can't happen without the sequence of events that leads up to that happening. So if Payne doesn't use a review the previous over, Nathan Lyon starts the next over probably two minutes earlier. He bowls a slightly different set of six deliveries and we don't know what would happen from any of those six deliveries. Ah, the butterfly flaps and swings. This feels like I'm on an episode of Quantum Leap. Yeah, this is, this is very much slightest territory. This Theorizing is Jerry O'Connell territory once again as we end up Dr. every Samuel week. Dr. Beckett steps into the Quantum Leap <laughs> Accelerator and vanished. He awoke to find himself trapped in the past, facing mere images that were not his own and driven by an unknown force to change history for the better. Right. I, I won't go on, but, but, but trust me, yeah. But, but it's, it's like how that. It works. It's like that. So in the alternate timeline over that Lyon bowls to Stokes, we don't know what would have happened. Lyon might have got him out. Um, <laughs> he might have got hit for sixes. We don't know. But I oh, would... Jeff. No, no. This you're, is da- you're, you're down the wormhole on this one, aren't you, mate? No, no. This is, this is, <laughs> this is legitimately true. The, the, uh, the delivery that Lyon bowls to Stokes does not happen if Australia don't take the review. So they have a review in hand, but that ball never takes place, which means they don't. They probably don't need the review. There is a, if, if Stokes was out in the alternate timeline by some other delivery, it's very unlikely it would have been a delivery requiring an umpire's decision, which would also have been wrongly given and which would also have led to Australia not being able to review it because they'd, they'd burned the review. So, you know... Okay. If, if they had a review in hand, they probably wouldn't have needed it, is what I'm saying, in the space of okay. the six balls remaining that Lyon would have bowled. Whilst I agree with your theoretical construct, <laughs> I, I, I see exactly what you're trying yeah. to... I understand what you're trying to say. It's I just think factually true. The way that, no, I'm not dismissing what you're saying <laughs> theoretically, but the way that we've watched cricket for 100 years suggests that we don't unpack things quite like that. I, I think it's reasonable to assume that um, what you're saying is, whilst theoretically true, it's also fair to criticise the captain for not having a review at his disposal yes. at the time when it mattered most. It doesn't mean that Payne avoids, and Cummins, because evidently it was a conversation between the two of them where they arrived at the conclusion they should take a pop. Uh, they're not absolved, as it were, because of the, no. uh, of the, uh, the, 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 the timeline which you're talking of, which does make sense, I, I acknowledge. They they shouldn't have wasted a review. Sure. I, I, well, yeah. Okay. All you can say is all you can say is they got the review wrong. Yeah. I think I think if you are eight runs away from losing a test match and there is like a ten percent chance that your review might be right, you probably take it at that point because you're about to lose a test match. The the blokes just hit seven sixes and he only needs to hit one more before it's you know one run to tie and and you're you're, you're very close to losing the game. So I'm not mm. surprised that they they had a pop. They were wrong. So be it. You can be criticised for being wrong. That's fine. But it, it's like it, it's fundamentally bad practice to be poor with your reviews but it doesn't mean you can't then say Australia lost the match because they had used the review because they wouldn't have had the opportunity they wouldn't have had that opportunity to win the match unless they did review you know it's like saying if if someone's if someone's had taken three wickets and then had a catch dropped and then taken another wicket and then at the end of the day you say well they could have had five if that catch hadn't been dropped but they couldn't have because if the fourth catch was taken then the fifth wicket doesn't exist because something else happens you know you, you can't you can't create a you can't mesh two light timelines together and say that the combination would have taken place because you don't know what would have happened after the branch of time diverges okay. and, and something else takes place. I, I think I, <laughs> I love how much time you spent thinking about this during the week. Like a that's lot. Probably my main my main takeout from this is you spent way too much time arguing about this on Twitter. I've spent um, enough okay. time. I've spent enough that's time okay. arguing about this. <laughs> I'm, I'm mindful we should get to Pat Cummins pretty soon, but before yeah. we do so, the the some odds and sods uh, selection. We won't get too deeply into this, but Australia is going to have to make some space for Stephen Smith. It'll be. I guess Harris versus Kawaja. I mean, they're they're batting. Are they still batting together in a tour game, Jeff, or has one of them got out? No, Ma, uh, Smith was batting with Marsh last I saw. So they both right. made they both made biggish half centuries. So hard but, to but really against some make a very out of that. very modest bowling. If I'm going no, to yeah. be polite, it was um, there has there has not been a lot of testing deliveries sent down. Put it that way. Yes, that's a debate they've got, whether they go with Kawaja or not. I suppose the the question of of captaincy with Tim Payne morphed into a conversation during the week about when Payne goes, who takes over. And we touched on this in previous episodes. And look, Mm. Dan Bredig wrote a really considered piece that if Payne were to leave at the end of this series, then Australia may have a a bit of a problem in that Stephen Smith isn't allowed to captain until March. And whether he should be anyway is a whole different debate. But even if he 
was going to be invited to be captain again, they might be left with a a window where they need another captain and the fact that the World Test Championship is in two-year cycles, it might lend itself to this idea of having a captain for a couple of years rather than four or five years as it was yeah. with Steve Waugh and more again when it was um, when it was uh, Ricky Ponting and, and, uh, and Alan Border before it. So he, he flagged Usman Khawaja as someone who, who might end up being asked to do a job even though he won't be the best player in the team and I guess that's been the, the custom in recent years mm-hmm. or recent generations rather for Australia is the captain is simply the best player well it's unlikely that Kawaja will be that but he has captained Queensland for a long period of time and sure his spot's under threat right now but if it turns out that Payne does go at the end of the oval if Australia win and he wants to leave on a high note that it would it would be a very tricky bit of terrain for the board to to, to navigate through because, they, yeah, they don't have Warner, obviously. He's banned for life. They don't have Smith banned for two years. They wouldn't want to throw Travis Head in the job too early. They saw what happened with Stephen Smith there, and I, I think that the consensus is that they need Head to be vice-captain for at least a couple of years to get to the next level before he would captain Australia. And then I suppose there's Patrick Cummins with, with Mitchell Marsh out of the side who's a state captain, um, Josh Hazelwood, who was briefly a vice-captain, but then you come back to Cummins and, and the the thesis there being that fast bowlers can't do the job and, and we touch on that with him in the interview but mm. like, yeah it is an interesting talking point if pain were to go then I, I, there's no easy answer i just I, I just don't think he can i think they would be begging him to stay on basically because mm. really all they need to do is get through a home summer which is five test matches it'll be a relatively low-key summer it'll be pakistan and new zealand um and and get through to the end of that and then there's basically no test cricket for a year they might go and play two tests in bangladesh in june if they actually honor that obligation but you know they as we've bloody seen better yeah but but even so you know that's that'd be it until the next summer um that's true so and by that time a lot of things could have changed there'll be a lot of white ball cricket it depends who's doing what where and when and 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 so that might be the time that someone like you know Cummins or Travis Head or whoever it might be could take over but mm. I just think it, it yeah it's it's going to be if they sort of jam in Kawaja as a temporary skipper for one home season it just doesn't really make sense and and he's he's never been well, that I, far I away he, from getting dropped he's always on the verge of yeah. getting dropped because he's you know he just doesn't deliver consistently uh, housekeeping uh, one uh, we're not going to do nerd pledge this week we're going to come back to it next week but um, we're we're continuing to build towards 281 so thank you so much for the the generous contributions patreon.com forward slash final word cricket or is it the final word I always get confused the final word. I always, the fi- I always conflate our, our website and our patreon account but all the same it's on the website in. you can go to it our is on website the website. <laughs> Um, there's been uh, some uh, very uh, quirky numbers put up recently, which I can't wait to get our teeth into, perhaps between the Manchester Test and the Oval Test match. Um, uh, also, iTunes and, and so on, uh, keep reviewing it, it. It turns out that iTunes, we didn't realise this till yesterday, but we've been the number one cricket podcast in Australia, according to the rankings, um, or the, the charts rather, for the bulk of the, the summer, it turns out, the English summer. So thanks to everyone for continuing to listen and, and review and, and rate and, and so forth and that's kind of a bit of a buzz seeing uh, the show the show sitting on top of those charts the, yeah then we've got to start up the chant of we're number one we're yeah. sometimes number one and sometimes number two but then so, number one number again two, but most of the time number one yeah <laughs> we're going to put that on a shirt it's going to be it's going to be very catchy yeah yeah well of course there is the shirt if you want to jump on the website the final word <laughs> final word cricket uh, um, the Glenn Maxwell shirt he's, he's still on sale thanks to League Tees uh, what else Jeff before we wrap this Oh, I can't think of anything else. Come to the live show. Tell your friends in the come north to, the to come show. to the live show. And uh, let's have a chat to Patrick Cummins. Hi, I'm Natalie Jamonis, and you listen to The Final Word with Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins. Well, we're thrilled to have Pat Cummins with us at Derbyshire County Cricket Club. You're uh, not playing in this tour game, uh, but you are dressed up in the most delightful-looking proper cricket jumper I think I've ever seen really it's the full kit it's the long sleeves it looks like it's never been worn 
Well, I've been waiting all tour, actually. That's one of the highlights of coming to England. You get the full sweaters, woolies on. But, um, yeah, today's the first day. I pulled it out of the packet. It's meant to be a large, but I think I got Matt Wade's one on, actually. It's, um, it's pretty <laughs> I, tight. I was thinking it did look very svelte. <laughs> you know, you, you, it looks like an Italian team jumper or something. Yeah, like me when I was, like, 19 years old, intentionally buying T-shirts three times too small. <laughs> Sun's out. For me. Guns <laughs> out. Uh, <laughs> I noticed Stark out there bowling one – he bowled one ball wearing it and then had to take it off. <laughs> yeah, it is <laughs> like very attractive. I still collect them. Um, so it's the first, it's a, the team's first outing since what happened on Sunday at Headingley. But the first sort of training session yesterday, it was quite quite a laid back affair playing rugby league, which I felt you know I felt um, uh, sympathy for you, New South Welshman in the side who there's always a sharing out there, <laughs> always that the Melbourne uh, Southern States dominated football coach, and you guys finally got to play some of your game. Well, I have to admit. Um, I actually wasn't there at training yesterday. Oh, I missed. had the day off. So um, I came down yesterday, but from all reports, it was pretty good. A few of the boys were happy to get their shirts off. <laughs> um, I just saw a, it was a front page of Daily Telegraph. I think tomorrow's Davey, uh, Davey Warner with his shirt off, so he was pretty happy there. A yep. um, few tries. There's been a few f- videos flying around. Smithy was pretty happy with one cutout pass, so... Um, yeah, a bit of fun. It was um, yeah, pretty relaxed, I think. The other thing I noticed, I know you weren't involved yesterday, but Cameron Bancroft leading the group in a, in a, in a yoga lesson. It, it, sort of thinking about talking to you today, when you first came into this side in 2011, what, what are the odds or what's the probability of seeing a yoga session on the middle of a cricket field before, before any sort of game? Yeah, I don't remember Buff taking his shoes off and um, <laughs> running us through a downward dog at all. But, um, yeah, well, it was something we actually did in Perth as well at the start of um, last summer. Uh, before the ODIs, Bengers took us through a, a, a yoga session. Obviously, JL loves his, uh, his, his earthing and his, his yoga, so it's something a little bit different. Um, us quick bowlers aren't normally great flexi- flexibility-wise. Um, but no, yeah, Bengers loves it. Him and uh, Mitch Marsh have been going a couple of times a week, actually, this trip. Are you any good at it? Like, I'm just sort of thinking that and I go to yoga quite a lot. Actually, the, today was the first yoga class I've ever been to where there's more me- men than women in the class. I think it's sort of a sign of the times. Oh, right. but, but as a fast bowler, I can see where it could be advantageous in terms of the additional flexibility and mm. so forth. Like, does that come? Like, do you see it as something that might actually have some? I don't know. Maybe extend your career in a few years' time. It's definitely got its benefits, but it's bloody hard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I've done it a few times. As a as I said, my attention span is terrible, so I'm, I can hold a pose for a couple of seconds, and I'm I'm hopeless. But we've uh, we've actually done a lot of Pilates, which is kind of similar, a lot of core work, but um, yeah, not as big on the flexibility front. But um, yeah, there's definitely value in it for sure. When you see like you know the stills of say Jeff Thompson with the leg up at the batsman, or the, who's the West Indies bowler kicking the stumps over in New Zealand where his foot's up above his head, Michael Holding. Yeah, there's there's a fair bit of like. You know, fast bowlers have been doing yoga for a long time. They yeah, just didn't yeah. know it. Yeah. Uh, what's his name? DK Lilly. He always says to me, he used to spend hours stretching and doing core exercises. So uh, there's definitely something in it. I prefer taking anti-inflammatory off on that. That's the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we, we, before we get into sort of talking about your story, the way we normally do on the final word, um, what was it like being out there in the middle of Headingley on Sunday when all hell was breaking loose? Like, try and give us a bit of a snapshot what it feels like being at the top of your mark as Josh Hazelwood um, sneaks in behind you here. Uh, being in he a, looks in a, even in, bigger in than setting. usual with the fluoro yellow vest on. <laughs> <laughs> fluoro orange. It's like this giant orange giant keeps peering down through the window at us. Yeah, what's it, I mean, what, for, for those who will never get a chance, to do it what's it like being in a pressure cooker situation like that um when you're at the top of your mark when there's a test match which is so in the balance and regardless of the result will we'll be talked about for sort of decades really yeah and i bowled the last ball so that would be replayed a few times oh, which would God. be good um <laughs> it's i felt like it was probably closer to say like a world cup game or a, a t20 game where every single ball you feel like you know the match could be won or lost on that ball and it's probably something I haven't felt in test cricket at all, you know, my 20-odd tests that I've played. But, I mean, the, the first thing is just, you know, the crowd was you know, so vocal. Um, it was midday, so they'd, they'd had, well, you know, middle session, so they'd had a few hours of drinking under their belt. So they were pretty confident out there on the fence. And, um, oh, it was amazing. You know, a couple of times I just had to – it wasn't totally unfamiliar because, uh, you know, you've played a lot of white ball games that come down to the wire, but – it was weird that it was, you know, test cricket and he's hitting six after six and it's spinning out of the rough and, um, yeah, you know, just couldn't believe it. It was, yeah, you know, the whole time I felt like we were going to get a wicket. He was bound to hit one up, but he, um, 
unfortunately just kept hitting them clean. So yeah, it wasn't a great great experience out there. I was down in the in the midst of the crowd as that was all happening in the Western Terrace, and every single person in that ground was losing their shit. Like they were just people were chewing on their fingers, jumping up and down, yelling at each other on the phone to other people, telling them to go and watch it. Like it was absolute bedlam. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I felt it out on the fence. Every single boy, just the whole crowd stood up and erupted. And um, uh, what I will say is, on, on the field, I felt really calm. Um, we spoke a little bit at, at Lords on that day four, where we, we felt like we were a real chance of winning the winning the game. There, we um, you know we had them four down, but we could have easily had them seven, eight down. And um, we spoke about almost wanting it so much that we got really emotional, and people were stressed out there we were living and dying by every result so I think this time round everyone was quite calm we were quite level even when we you know we bowled them out for 67 um, in the second innings when we were taking wickets everyone was really level kind of knew we weren't going to kind of erupt until we won the game so didn't help yeah. <laughs> unfortunately is that something that's come from tim specifically because i remember him saying i think in south africa when he was talking about um sledging and arguing on the field and so on he was saying that's something that can take your energy away too it can distract you and, and you waste your emotional energy on that instead of on the game itself for sure and i'd say just about everyone in the team plays their best when they're relaxed and they're calm and they're clear and it's something we speak quite a bit about and yeah tim definitely runs that uh, jl's big on that um you know, it's quite easily to, to I guess, lose sight of that and, and ride the roller coaster of you know wins and losses and wickets and partnerships. So it's just a drain if you if you try and um, play your cricket like that. So yeah, I thought that was really impressive how everyone kind of maintained their their even kill the whole time. And has that been the case the last couple of days? It certainly feels like it from the outside watching you guys go through your paces that there hasn't been that sort of hangover which can often happen after a loss. I remember in. Where were we? India a couple of years ago, losing in Bangalore. There was a big drop before Ranchi last year when they Australia went into urban. They lose in Port Elizabeth, a relatively tight test match. We all know what happens in Cape Town. Like it feels this time around, like things are a bit more chilled out. Yeah, for sure. It's you know, we haven't won a series over here in twenty years, so I think you can kind of look at that two ways. You can, you know, say um, yeah, desperate to win, which of course we are, or as you can kind of say, you know, we're, we're the underdogs. Um, It'd been an amazing achievement to win here, but just try not put to put you know extra pressure on ourselves. And um, I think it'd be a different story if we're all down you know two or three nil, but we're one or um, two to play every single game we've played. We feel like we've been right on top for most of it. So yeah, I think as long as we don't lose sight of all those things we're doing well, we've we've got no reason to to lose confidence over the last one. I felt like one of the best things for people who love. Australian cricket, you know, aside from there's the 67, obviously, but the key part of it is that there's you, there's James Pattinson, there's Josh Hazelwood, and you're all together. Finally, you're all together in a test match after all of these injuries, all these delays, all these setbacks, all this waiting, because it it was, you know, you're talking nearly 10 years ago when people were saying these guys are the up-and-comers, they could all be, you know, they could form a hell of a force at test level with Mitchell Stark in there as well, this four. And now you're all in the squad and three of you are in that 11 and you can all play. Yeah, it was really special. It wasn't lost on us. You know, actually, on the first morning, um, JL pulled us aside and, uh, and said, I've been waiting 10 years to have you guys playing together, um, you know, fit at the same time. Obviously, we've got, you know, someone like Starkey on the bench as well. So it's just, you know, it's great having, I guess, everyone to pick from, everyone fit and firing and... Um, yeah, we have all been, uh, I guess, through a lot together and over 10 years, so we all get along really well and, um, you know, enjoy each other's success. So, yeah, it's a really good, really great feeling. And, you know, I think in the past, if you, if you miss out, you you know, you're super disappointed, obviously. But I think this tour, someone like, you know, Starkey, the way he's carried himself by not getting picked, it's he's kind of personified that feeling of a, of a you know, group mentality and everyone's going to have to p- play a part. It's... Um, yeah, it's a pretty long tour and obviously the, the schedule is 12 months long. Do you remember coming through with those blokes? I know you were a couple of years younger than Pato and Josh, but Mitchell as well, they played under-19s against each other. Is there sort of a, a recollection you have? I know you debuted within two tests of each other and there's a lot spoken about in that respect, but just your first memories of junior cricket and, you know, realistically you were the big dogs in town type thing at these carnivals and so forth and sort of eyeing off someone like a James Pattinson or playing alongside Josh Hazelwood or Mitchell Stark for the first time? Yeah, I actually never had anything to do with any of them really until um, 
until I was part of the New South Wales squad. Um, so I think our first tour was we played a Champions League in 2011 over in India. Um, so we'd spent most of the pre-season together, you know, Starkey and Joshy, but I'd literally only met them that pre-season. And, um, yeah, you know, when I'm f- probably 15, 16, those were the guys that were everyone's talking about, you know, a 17- or 18-year-old guy was bowls, bowls fast playing for New South Wales. So I, I was kind of privileged a year or two later when I felt like I was, you know, in the squad playing alongside them. So, um, yeah, it's, you know, it's we're talking a matter of years there, but that, that's, you know, 10 years ago. So we've... Um, now, we've all been really good mates for the last 10 years. It, it's, I mean, you, you, you had it though. I was speaking to Andrew Wu before of the Sydney Morning Herald and he goes, oh, saw a photo of Pat Cummins bowling as a 12-year-old. Perfect action. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect action. <laughs> well, is it like, I mean, those yeah. expectations, I mean, I, I think when you did the great <laughs> cricketer show once, Sam's told a story about you hitting a bale for six or something like that as a kid or whatever it is. Like, what your memories of sort of being 14 or 15 and people going, wow, this guy's going to play for Australia. Like, that's kind of a, a big rap when you're a it's kid. pretty intense. Like, year nine or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. To, I was trying to work out how to, I don't know, <laughs> like what I could set on fire and you know, like what I could steal from the science <laughs> lab. <laughs> well, I think there must be some confirmation bias in that because I'm sure there must be, you know, every second kid gets told that when they're that age. But um, true. I had a couple of older brothers, so I was always just trying to... I was judging myself against them. You know, guys are always a couple of years older. Um, it probably was until I was, I'd say, 15 or 16 and um, where I kind of felt like I could, you know, maybe scare scare the batter down the other end. And, and, um, and no matter what, what he did to me, I felt like I could try and sniff a couple past his nose and, um, you know, be on top. But, um, yeah, I, I never really felt like I... He always just played for the local district and wanted to be one of the main players, but didn't really step outside against other people my age till you know a bit older. So even though you know you explained in 2011, and we'll come back to that, a lot of my memory of you is sort of the future being now was 2015 that tour game against Northampton. So you're you know drafted into the squad after not initially being in the 15. Josh is injured, if memory serves me correctly. You play the tour game. You don't play the test match, but you know. Bowl very, very fast. And I think scared. it was here like, as well, wasn't it? Like there was some super quick spells here. Did the you three play here? Yeah, 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 played here. Right. I couldn't really – I remember playing here. I can't really remember what happened. Right. But what I remember about North Ends was that, you know, we were commentating, weren't we? It was very fast. It was very scary. And then you made 80-odd and got declared on. But it was as though after that sort of harrowing 60-all out at Nottingham the week before, which, you know, you would have experienced from the dressing room watching on, that – you, you sort of were green shoots in what was an otherwise a fairly old tour, like six guys in that team either finished their test careers then or, or finished shortly thereafter. Is that how it felt to you as well, that you were getting this opportunity at a really kind of really good time, even though there was an injury not long after that, but just then and there? Yeah, I hadn't played a first class. I think I might have played one Aussie A or maybe two Aussie A's, but I hadn't played a first class game since my 2011 debut. So I remember those these games here on tour just thinking... This is my, my start of my first class career again, really, and um, yeah, just felt like I, you know, played a couple of games, felt like I bowled well. Um, I was disappointed to miss out on the on the last game they pick pick Sids, which was you know absolutely fine. He was bowling beautifully and, and does so well over here. Um, but but what I do remember was the, the there was a Bangladesh tour that was scheduled just after it. And I think Johnson and Joshy weren't going to go on that, so that yeah. was my. I was really eyeing off that as, you know, it's going to be my second test match coming back for that. And uh, that tour got cancelled. I'd got another crack in my back. So nothing eventuated. But, um, yeah, I saw that tour as kind of moving from three or four years previous of, of only playing white ball into all right, my body's starting to get close to being able to play Red Bull again. And, and it was still there. One thing I can tell you, because the commentary box used to be side-on here, so, um, you know, it's call, calling from square leg, and you were quick in that, that game here at Derby. And then, again, in North Ants, where I spoke to you about this a couple of years ago, like, absolutely robbed of 100. You could yeah, have had still a still like, I told Smitty that the other day. <laughs> we, so were, we were fired he, up. He can't even remember it. Well, we oh, were really fired on. up because there was a couple of things going on. First of all, you only just avoided the follow-on at one. Australia were about... Eight for a hundred or something. The follow-on was only a hundred because it was yeah. a two-day game, and then you come out and you know that that was that. But the decision to come out and have a second bowl from memory, or maybe just call the game off early and no, they just, shake just hands. went home. It was shake hands, right? Yeah, shake hands at five o'clock and shake hands. Come on, yeah, Sophie. on the bus back to Sydney, uh, back to London. But no, me and I, because I think Liner got fifty or forty. Right. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. might have been his first first-class fifty. So no, we we still enjoy that story over Colby. <laughs> <laughs> so there's the there's the uh, the all-out. 
What a game. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> the always 60 thing. I think we're the only three who have ever <laughs> recounted that game. Well, I, I always recount it because it was my birthday that day and I remember that night going out on the piss with Stephen Crook who made 100. Um, yeah. The, uh, he, he made 100. We went out yeah. pretty late and then he came out and took four wickets the next day after that's being right. with us. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it, it, it was one of those sort of throwbacks. I gather that's probably how it was covering the Australian team 20 or 30 years ago where <laughs> everyone would just kind of go out and go to the pub together or whatever it is and you'd play the next day. Because yeah. Crookie, you know, his international ambitions had, had since mm. had, had long since gone by that part of his career. We just want to he make was, sure that you get the credit for the innings because Australia could have lost by an innings to Northampton in two days. Yeah. First day's rained off. Second day, Crook mates 140 off 80 balls or whatever it is, carts everybody everywhere. They The next day he comes out, takes three for nothing. Yeah. Australia's nearly bowled out short of the follow-on, would have been following on with 50 overs to face. <laughs> and at most everyone was pretty much cooked in the head. And so, you, you know, you saw saved the day then. Oh, thanks, okay. mate. Yeah. <laughs> there are some parallels between that, though, and when you came back, when you came into the Australian side all the way back in 2011, let's go there, um, the 47 all-out day. I mean, Usman tells a story about how he had to run up and, down the, up and down the stairs over and over and over again yep. because he was 12th man. What, you must have been 13th man, I guess. Like, what are your memories of 47 all-out and then the next week it's like, okay, mate, well, we've we just been, you know, we just had that route yeah. and come and fix it for us. Well, um, I mean, it's, everyone has a, has a funny story about that. My favourite one is um, their coach, who I think was Gary Kirsten at the stage. Mm. I think his wife might have been going to labour in the morning. So he left the ground at two for you know, 40 or something. And then <laughs> he came back a couple of hours later and they were two for 80. And he's, what's happening? We've only put on 30 or 40 runs. Oh, no, it's been 20 wickets. <laughs> um, but I was, uh, I think we were two or three down at, at T and... Um, I actually went off to do a gym session with Trent Copeland and it was at the back of the ground so we couldn't hear a lot but you could just hear like muffled sounds. Yeah, yeah, every kind of couple of minutes and suddenly we thought, geez, we better check what the score is here and it was, uh, it was nine down. So <laughs> nine we, for 27 or whatever Nine for 27. So we thought, shit, we've got to go and run and put our spikes on because we're subfielders. So we cut our gym session short. It was about a 30-minute gym <laughs> session and uh, I remember running around the sideline as, um, as Lino and Sids were putting on those extra few runs. But, um, oh, incredible. Yeah, that was my first taste of test cricket. I remember waking up super nervous every day because I'd never seen anything like it. And I think Shane Watson took five for that morning before yeah. the 47. I just thought, how is this test cricket? is easy. <laughs> <laughs> well, it kind of must have felt that way the next week as well. Not, not easy, but, you know, the six for... The winning runs, the pin-up boy on back page of everywhere in the country. I mean, there goes anonymity for you. Age 18, everyone knows your name. Everyone knows what you look like. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. It was, yeah, I'd kind of left the tour. Um, I'd played a couple of games for New South Wales and um, I'd never really, you know, the furthest I'd been away was kind of a, you know, maybe a month, uh, sorry, a week tour, you know, interstate for um, a Shield game. Suddenly I was on this, you know, 12-week cricket tour. So, um I just remember just coming back and felt like a different person. Suddenly, you know, I'd, I'd played for Australia. I'd hung around 35-year-olds for a couple of months. Um, Don't I'd travelled the it. world. <laughs> yeah. And, um, yeah, kind of come back and you've, you've gone from being a, kind of an, an anonymous, you know, um, you know, kind of hoping one day get a few games into you and, and um, you know, kind of come back and suddenly you got a lot of people kind of wanting your time and um you know expectations and um it was a great time yeah for sure have you ever asked brad haddon about the shot that he played <laughs> during that batting collapse yeah the charge pull shot to i actually asked edge. him a couple of days ago <laughs> oh, <really? laughs> i said i said oh sometimes you just get a good one don't you brad and he said something oh yeah uh, it was uh got to move the game on or something like that i said it's going pretty fast <laughs> i wanted to ask you about your body about your... What specifically, mate? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's going to be a good outtake for the later on. A little less conversation, uh, <laughs> a little more about your body. So 1,946 days I worked that day between Johannesburg and Ranchy when you play your next test match, only a couple of first-class games. You played for New South Wales the week before and you rushed over. Paddo says no to coming over when he played for Victoria. He said, I don't want to risk it again being drafted into a test squad halfway through and breaking half for the 14th time. You did do and did come over and bowled really well at Ranchi and, and you know Australia that doesn't win the series but again you come out of it um, with your reputation enhanced and your body's pretty much been right with 
one small exception ever since. So I know the, the CA medical staff used to brief us about this and say that, no, no, he'll be right when he gets to about 24 or 25. He's built perfectly, no dramas just about getting through this, this last growth phase or, or something like that. But is that how you feel now, that when you run out there to bowl, you don't have to consider, um, you know, those ailments that, that kept you off the park for so long? You can just run in there and never really worry about your back ever again. Yeah, for sure. And they got it pretty much bang on, um, which is kind of hard as a... 20 year old to, to take that you can't really control too much other than trying to grow up um, but no it's, it's been great I've been really lucky since I kind of came back that um, in 2017 um, kind of before that that um, that test series where I came back I, I felt like I'd played quite a lot of one day cricket and you just you just know subconsciously my body wasn't um, you know, I wasn't waking up as sore as I was a couple of years ago I, I felt like I could go and bowl a couple of days in a row. Um, you know, got through a shield game and I was waking up fine. I was felt like I could you know bowl bowl all day and I was fine. So it's I don't know what specifically clicked, but it just kind of felt like a couple of years of momentum of of playing some white ball cricket and, and getting a little bit older and just bowling more overs just kind of all added up. Um, but yeah, it's been really good since. I'm you know it's, I think that that first home summer Ashes was five back to back tests and. That was a, a kind of leading into that. It's a, it's just an unknown. You kind of hope you're going to play five. You hope you're going to get through it. But I'd never done anything like it. And kind of once I got through that, I, I thought, you know, I'm over. Uh, you know, I've bowled plenty of balls here, so my, I know my body's okay. Getting through a couple of days at a time is exactly what you did have to do at, at Ranchy, the Rancho Relaxo. Um, yeah. th- it's the kind of pitch that made Mitchell Johnson <laughs> retire, you know, dead flat, Pajara makes 200, you're, you're bowling for days. But I think you said that you just felt so happy to be there. You were just like, fuck it, I'm just going to go in and just go as hard as I can and, and, and relish it. That's it. And it was the middle of a series and the first two tests were two of the best test matches you ever see. And I was like every other Australian sitting at home watching that just getting nervous, um, getting excited before each day's play and suddenly I'm on the plane and I'm in the middle of it. So um, it was incredibly easy to get up for, even if it was uh, yeah, a long slog in the dirt. Um, you're playing test cricket, it's, you know, if, you, if you're not going to, if you're trying to save yourself in test cricket, well, I don't know what you're saving yourself for. So just kind of, it was almost like the handbrake was off. I'm at the uh, I'm at the end goal, so just let loose. It, it was in- instructive, really, that in in Bangladesh a few months later that they used you as the solo pace bowler in Chittagong. Like you go from being, you know, <laughs> let's protect this guy Cotton Wool for as long as possible to oh well, we back his body now. We you know we we think he can do what needs to be done. And, and I guess in in some respects that 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 washes through to post Ashes in South Africa as well. We're not going to go through you know the well documented stuff that that happened over there, but um, you know it, it is kind of washed over there a little bit that on that first day in Cape Town um, before all hell broke loose you bowl like a nine over spell take four wickets in the spell five for the day perhaps the best you bowled for Australia um, I'm not saying that people would necessarily remember it from that test but again it was reflective of the fact that uh, as if you would bowl nine overs on the spin in a test match after tea with the old ball you know what I mean yeah uh, probably yeah I think it's just part of test screen that's why I love it um, you know there's a couple of times throughout the ashes where um yeah, you kind of feel like you, you've got to step up and bowl those big spells. It probably wasn't, yeah, you're right, till Cape Town where I... Yeah, I, I remember actually bowling really poorly that morning. Uh, probably the worst I'd bowled in a couple of... Um, you know, maybe ever in test cricket. And, and then I just kind of thought, geez, I need to pull my finger out here. I'm, I'm going to be a passenger. And, um, yeah, you just... You know, if you find another gear, so everything came together. But... Um, yeah, if you've, got, if you've got to play test cricket, you've got, you've got to be able to buy those long spells. It seemed like watching on, though, that you, after everything went to shit, you were one of the few players who wasn't completely sidetracked by that. Like, you, the end of the match in Cape Town on that last day when things were, you know, things sucked, you were still doing your best. And then when you went to Joburg, you know, you bowled tremendously, took five for... Came out and made sixty after a batting collapse. Like, you know, you hadn't given it up. You were, you were still in that fight. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know why or how, but um, I think I, at the time I said, and I kind of it's all a bit hazy now, but I, I almost felt like being out there in the cricket field was actually a bit of a release. It was um, you hand your phone in, you don't have to think about anything else, and um, you can kind of be judged on just what you do out in the cricket field. And it's for me, you know, that's the same reason why as a as a ten year old, you you go out and play. You just want to go out and do your thing and enjoy it and play and. Um, 
yeah, oh, I don't specifically remember other than I just remember thinking, you know, it's a test match. Someone's got to take wickets. Someone's got to put their hand up and, um, you know, I'll try my best and, and force you got a few wickets. I think it's the first of many times I've written you should captain Australia one day after that day because in the second innings you take five more, four more, five more? Four more, Four yeah. more. And then you spoke really forcefully after the game about the, the, pre-pan, the pre-planned bullying that went on and, you know, you just thought it was a waste of energy and you and Tim seemed to be um, allied in what you were saying and it was like quite a positive message to take away that these senior players kind of got what had happened and, and why it had happened and I guess last year when India are on the rampage at Melbourne they're on the cusp of really embarrassing you in the Boxing Day test it's you again big bag of wickets you know could have taken eight or nine if not for circumstances at the end then make more runs to you know take Australia from a terrible situation to a halfway passable one by the end of it you get made vice captain you win the AB medal you're the number one ranked fast bowler in the world like there's these things that you're ticking these boxes one after (laughs) another seems to be you do your best work when the team's you know suffering from some sort of adversity but these leadership qualities start you know um, we start observing it we start talking about it we start writing about it um and you are made vice captain. Like, is this something that you've started thinking about more, even just standing at fine leg or mid on, thinking, right, if I were, if I were in charge of this side, if Tim breaks a finger and I've got to pull the strings here, how I would go about pulling those strings? Is that started to sort of enter your mainframe a little bit? It has, yeah, a little bit more since probably being made vice captain. Um, for, for probably, you know, since I, I don't think I've captained the side since I was probably 15 or 16, maybe. And, Ever since then, I've always been the youngest bloke in the side. Um, so you kind of sit back, listen, observe, see what's going on, but, you know, you don't really have a lot of responsibility or, um, you know, too many decisions to make until, yeah, I guess being being vice-captain, you just... It's probably the first time, first time I've actually been aware and, um, yeah, I'll, I'll probably just take a little bit more notice, um, trying to help out where I can, Um for me, I, as a bowler, I feel like I can control, you know, what I do in my fields and what I'm trying to do. It's, I've always got a pretty clear plan, but um, you know, I've had to go and captain a spinner and set a field to that. I've, I'd never done that before, so trying to be a little bit more aware just to, in case I ever see anything I can pass on to Painty. But, um, yeah, it's, I think you kind of always innately have it as a, as a bowler. I just want to embarrass you here while we're doing the Pat Cummins love-in. Um, after the Joburg test, I interviewed Faf Duplessis and I asked him about your role in the series um, and I'm not going to do his accent but just imagine this in the backwards. <laughs> this was his quote. Shirt on we, or shirt off? Uh, shirt off, yeah. <laughs> shirt took off, it off yeah. for the quote. Right. Yeah. Um, he said, he's an exceptional player. We would sit on the side of the field and just admire what he does. We'd say, look at this guy. He's still running in and bowling quick. He's diving at balls when he's just finished an eight-over spell. He's got runs in the series. As a batter, I definitely felt he was the biggest challenge. He's a nice guy, Pat. You enjoy it when nice guys do well, even opposition, the good people of the game. I'm now doing his accent by accident. <laughs> We're looking forward to having him beer now with the Australian team could, could, you know what does that mean to you to have that kind of regard from from an opposition captain like that yeah that, that's special that's that's really nice from Faf um, yeah you kind of you, you play and you want to be liked by your teammates and um, you know if you if you hear fans enjoying it you know other other um, opposition or umpires or something um you know that that that's sometimes even nicer because they're they're judging you on what they see. Um, kind of at times when you're most stressed, sometimes or under duress out in the field. So, um, yeah, it's really nice for Faf. You didn't have to say that. I'll we return the favour one day. We never had a shirt off showdown between Faf and Watto. Like <laughs> and Watto, imagine if Watson. <laughs> I mean, the the shirt off game hasn't been the same since Shane Watson left the team, has it? Uh no. Well, yeah, Dave Dave Warner's back page of the paper tomorrow. Keep an eye on that one. Um, but it's no Watto in the Lord's changing room <sighs> on the balcony, is it? Marcus Stoinis would have a crack, I reckon. Marcus Stoinis would like to change it. But, yeah, <laughs> that was very funny. I, remember. I, I saw that when you finished up in the World Cup, you went away and got away from cricket, went to France, read some books, ignored the game, ignored, you know, people knowing who you were and that kind of thing. Is it Becky, your partner? She's not from cricket background, from the UK. Is, is that? I mean, it sounds like that's quite a positive thing for you, having someone outside of all this and, you know, that can be removed from cricket and you can get away from the limelight when, as and when. Yeah, I enjoy it. Um, obviously, every day we spend around cricket stuff. So um, for me, I quite like getting home or back to the hotel room and having... Um, yeah, Becky, who's no idea whether I took Pfeiffer or went for none for 200, which is good. So, um, yeah, it's, you know, as we're, we're on tour kind of 10 months of the year, 11 months of the year. So, um, personally, you know, some people 
love it and, and can can concentrate on cricket 24-7 for me. I'm, I need to switch off sometimes or else I, I just get drained. So, um, yeah, she's she's good. She knows the rules now. I want, my first, uh, she came and watched, I think it was my first uh, Big Bash game that she came and saw and I fielded one at cover and I threw down the stumps. Batter was well in and it went for four overthrows. And I got home and she said, oh, well done, you hit the sticks. How good is that? <laughs> <laughs> so, you got that one wrong. <laughs> so she's learned a bit more now. <laughs> in, in closing on that front, I've got to tell you this before we turn the microphones off. Last year, I don't know if you saw me, I don't think you did. I walked past you in, well, actually, we'll, we'll tell this story properly. I, I was walking with a colleague through Luxembourg Gardens and I go to a mate of mine, oh, look at that bloke, Instagram husband. Look at him, look at him, Instagram husband. Ah, oh, here we go. Taking, um, <laughs> look at this, look at this, here we go. And then Vish goes, look, it's, it's like Pat Cummins. And I double take from about 50. That absolutely is oh, Pat Cummins. No. And I cross-referenced it later in the day that indeed you had been performing the role as Instagram oh, husband. <laughs> so good to see that notwithstanding Jeez. the fact you're a uh, you know, number one ranked bowler in the world, you've still got important domestic Well, that's even more draining than bowling 20 overs. So. <laughs> Pat Cummins, you've been a great sport as always. Thank you so much for having a chat to us and being part of the final word. Easy. Thanks, boys. Cheers for having me. I'm Glenn Maxwell. Make sure you listen to my favourite podcast, The Final Word. This is indeed The Final Word with Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins and just then with Patrick Cummins. Thank you so much to him for being such a, a lovely guest. He's genuinely one of the good guys in world cricket, as Faf said, and uh, and he's, he's a very entertaining character. It's good to sit down and have a, a proper chat with Pat Cummins. Yeah, well, we'll, um, we'll release some video of him wearing that felt jumper uh, it looked outstanding <laughs> so well, it, was, it was very form fitting yes I, yeah, well I know. suppose when you've, you've got a we, well, we did talk a lot about his body didn't we when, when you're built like he did, is you, yeah. you can get away with that I, I didn't I didn't ask him for a hug but you know I, uh, I regret that in retrospect yeah it would have been would have been warm and, and comforting uh, uh, the, the comedy made about Justin Langer pulling them to one side last week and saying I've been waiting 10 years for that that's kind of cool wasn't it the idea that even yeah. at the professional level we sometimes think of them as being slightly robotic professional athletes but they still Still took that moment to acknowledge that it was a, a pretty special thing that after all the, 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 the injury trouble that the three of them have gone through, often forgotten the injury trouble that Hazelwood went through earlier in his career, of course. He barely bowled for three years mm. until he was about 23 years old, then had two stress fractures last year, which threatened to derail his, well, 2019, which is such a massive year for Australian cricket. So the fact the three of them were on the park was a, a nice moment. And who knows what they'll do next week, Jeff, because that's going to become a, a real selection debate. Cummins has said himself elsewhere that he thinks he'll, he'll be able to play five test matches, which is really encouraging. But can Hazelwood, can Pattinson play two in a row? Can Hazelwood take the risk with those aforementioned injuries? Will they go back to Peter Siddle, who was the, uh, well, according to reports, that the, the, the most consistent of the bowlers on display in the tour game yesterday? Will they look at Mitchell Stark on the basis that they may want to try and bowl England out with a bit of explosive, uh, you know, firepower? There are a lot of decisions to make for the selectors around that now, which they would have loved to have avoided had they won at Leeds. I know what we will be doing next week. We'll be doing the Ashes Daily, the short, bite-sized podcast at the end of every day's play. You'll be able to find that first thing in the morning Australian time when you wake up or in the evening UK time or... Uh, figure out your time zone wherever you are around the world. Uh, if you want to throw a couple of bucks in the tin for the final word, you can go to patron.com slash the final word. Um, chuck in a subscription, make it a boutique number if you want, make it a nerd pledge, and we will try to guess it on the show in a future episode. If you're in the north, uh, come on down to the live show on Monday, the 2nd of September, or let some people know who might want to come down and catch up with Jim Maxwell. And uh, aside from that, I don't think we have anything else to say. This has been the weekly edition of The Final Word with Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins. Thanks again to Patrick Cummins, and uh, we shall see you next time. I had to go.